welcome back to Morpeth Moments. I'm Marlene and I'll be telling stories of true crime, about murder, other tragedies and sometimes some events of interest involving people who had connections with the town of Morpeth, New South Wales and its surrounding districts. As convicts, soldiers and settlers made this area their home, stayed for a while to discover their niche or moved on to seek their fortune. The stories are based in the 19th and early 20th century. The accounts are researched and referenced by myself from open sourced information, family research, state archive records and Trove newspapers. Music by Kevin MacLeod. Sound effects by Sound Bible. I tell my stories with great respect for the victims and their families. I also retain all the information I find with family trees, other articles and interesting tidbits. Please feel free to email me. My address is on my podcast page. If there's any misinformation or you would like to find out more, please contact me here. On the 9th of August 1886, there was an attempt criminal assault in a railway train. On Monday evening, a most determined attempt was made to commit an outrage upon a young lady named Mary Ellen Gray in a railway carriage while on the journey from East Maitland to Morpeth. Fortunately, the screams of the intended victim were heard. The signals made to stop the train were observed, and the stopping made with such quickness that the scoundrel was caught almost as soon as the alarm was given. I would like to give a bit of background information about Mary Ellen Gray and her family. They did not originally come from Morpeth. John Thomas Gray, Mary's father, was born in 1841 in Sydney, a year after his parents, John Samuel and Hannah, arrived in Sydney as free settlers on the ship Marmion. John Thomas Gray was a gas fitter and plumber by trade. He met and married Bridget Jane Hall at St. Leonard in 1862. In 1869, the local government began in the area with the formation of the Borough of St. Leonard's to administer to the township, beginning the provision of utilities such as gas, water, roads, garbage collection, sewerage and sanitation, so John Thomas's trade was well in demand. Mary Ellen was the third child of eventually eleven in total. She was born in 1867 at St. Leonard's, North Shore, New South Wales. The family began their life at St. Leonard's, North Shore, New South Wales. Then, for whatever reason, John Thomas Gray, with his wife Bridget Jane, and their five children, Jane, Hannah, Mary Ellen, John Jr., Florence and Thomas, came to Newcastle in the early 1870s. John and Bridget had two children born at Newcastle. Margaret in 1875 and Henry in 1877. After Henry's birth, they moved on to Morpeth. With John Thomas's skills as a plumber and gas fitter, he may have aspired to work at the Maitland Gaslight Company as at this time an act to incorporate the Maitland Gaslight Company Limited was formed on the 9th of June 1874. Two more children were born at Morpeth. Herbert, in 1879, and Eva Phoebe in 1882. Life was pretty good for the Greys. 
The kids were doing well at school, and Mary's older sister Hannah began as a student teacher at Hinton Primary School. In June 1882, Jane Sophia, also known as Jeannie, married John Ashworth Hamilton Evatt at St. James Church, Morpeth. Early in August of 1886, Mary Ellen's life changed forever. It would have an effect on her for the rest of her life. Her family's life changed as well. As settled and comfortable they thought their lives were, it meant the end of their happy family life at Morpeth. Most of the family moved back to St. Leonard's and the other members to Newcastle. I would also like to relay some information about the Morpeth train line from East Maitland. The East Maitland Railway Precinct has an unusual arrangement and a slightly confusing history, with four separate East Maitland Railway Precincts identified in the how and why of station names, each one differentiated by location and date. The original East Maitland station opened on the 5th of April 1857 at what is now Victoria Street. The first East Maitland station closed in March 1858 but was soon reopened as Victoria Street in 1877. The second East Maitland station opened on 27th of July 1858 near the courthouse and at a location not far from the existing station precinct. The third East Maitland station opened as Morpeth Junction in 1864, changed to East Maitland in 1879 and closed in 1914. On the 14th of June 1914, the third station at East Maitland closed and was replaced by a fourth station and what is now East Maitland Railway Precinct. The Morpeth Line Junction was then altered to join the Northern Line closer to Newcastle. A separate platform was established on the branch line to handle trains to and from Morpeth, this being adjacent to the main line platforms but at a lower level. The extant buildings on the former Morpeth branch line are believed to have been constructed in circa 1914. According to an account of the train from East Maitland to Morpeth line from 20 years previous in the Newcastle Chronicle and Hunter River District News, we have had an early opportunity of inspecting the arrangements on the new line, and all things considered, the officials are entitled to great credit for them. The passenger train that is placed on the line consists of an engine, two second and one first class carriages. The carriages appear to be new, or if not, to be so renovated as to bear the appearance of being new. The first class is a saloon carriage with side seats, very neatly cushioned, and of a most comfortable character. The second class are open from end to end, are extremely plain, well adapted for short trips, and look a strong useful kind of carriage that will stand the wear and tear that must accrue when so much changing of seats takes place. The circumstances of the case are as follows. On Monday evening, Miss Gray, a young lady residing at Morpeth, took passage in the late train which leaves East Maitland at 9.13pm for the purpose of proceeding home. There was no one in the compartment when she entered and which she occupied about two minutes before the train started. 
After the whistle sounded, a young man, apparently about 22 or 23 years old, a perfect stranger to her, entered the same compartment. The young lady was much annoyed at the intrusion in such a way, and she sat by one of the windows looking out as if she was speaking to someone. The man took a seat at the opposite end of the compartment, but no sooner had the train got going than he came over to her and placed his hand upon her, she at the same time screaming out. The fellow then dragged her away from the window and tried to prevent her crying out. She struggled and got away from him, screamed and called out to Mr. J.W. Allworth, whom she had seen get into another compartment of the carriage. Fortunately, Mr. Allworth heard the screams and his name called, and Miss Gray, who was leaning out of the window, terror-stricken, told him there was a man in her carriage and asked him to come to her assistance. Her assailant then managed to drag her away from the window, threw her down on the floor of the carriage and attempted to criminally assault her, at the same time holding her by the throat and bumping her head on the floor. In the meantime, Mr Allworth, by waving a newspaper out of the window and calling out, attracted the engine driver's attention and the latter whistled for the guard to apply the brakes and the train was pulled up as soon as possible. Mr James Gilfoyle, a porter at the East Maitland station who resides in Morpeth and was in the brake van on his way home, at once jumped out and ran towards the engine to see what was the matter. When he came to the carriage he heard screams and climbed up on the open window and looking in saw the man who then had hold of Miss Gray by the shoulder, she being then in the act of rising and almost standing up. At the same time the engine driver, Henry Howe, came to the opposite side of the carriage. Gilfoyle opened the door and got in and asked Miss Gray what was the matter, the man in the meantime sitting down. The poor girl was so exhausted and terrified that she was unable to speak for a moment or two, and then said, Oh, that man, take him away. The man got out of the carriage and made off, and was pursued by Gilfoyle and another young man named Montgomery, a passenger. The fellow ran towards the back of the train, and then made towards the road, falling into the drain in doing so. He reached the Morpeth Road and ran two hundred or three hundred yards before Gilfoyle caught him, and with the assistance of Montgomery took him back to the guard's van, and then took him on to Morpeth. Mr Allworth and Mr Filmer took seats in the compartment with Miss Gray and accompanied the terrified young lady home. On reaching Morpeth, the fellow was handed over to the police and formally charged with attempting to commit rape. He gave his name as Henry Miller and said he was last employed at the Sydney Waterworks. As evidence of the intention of the fellow entering the train for the purpose he attempted to carry out, it may be mentioned that he had a ticket for Woodford, which is on the Newcastle line, and the assault was committed directly the train got in motion and it had only got about a mile when it was stopped. Miller was brought up to the Morpeth Police Court on Tuesday morning before Mr. D.J. Campbell, J.P., and was remanded till the following day. He was again brought up before Mrs. P.K. Hayden, 
and DJ Campbell JPs, when the charge against him was fully gone into. The prosecution was conducted by Mr. C. W. Reedit. Considerable interest was manifested in the case owing to the dastardly nature of the crime being attempted in the circumstances. The prisoner throughout said almost nothing, declined to make any statements, and appeared as if unconcerned as any one present. The case was heard with closed doors until the prosecutrix, who then appeared to be suffering from the rough handling she had received, had given her testimony. The following evidence was adduced. Constable John Snooshall, stationed at Morpeth, deposed. On Monday evening last, about half past nine o'clock, prisoner was given into my custody by James Gilfoyle. I afterwards saw a girl named Mary Ellen Gray, and she charged the prisoner with attempting to commit a rape upon her a few minutes previously. Prisoner made no reply. The prosecutrix said the offence was attempted in a first-class railway carriage between East Maitland and Morpeth. I took prisoner to the lock-up. There I asked him what he had been doing, and he replied, It would not do for me to say. I then charged him with the offence, and he made no reply. Mary Ellen Gray deposed. On Monday night last, I saw the prisoner standing on the railway platform at East Maitland. It was a few minutes past nine o'clock. I was coming home to Morpeth. I got into the first class carriage in one compartment. I was in the carriage about two minutes before the train started. The whistle of the train had gone, but the train had not yet moved when the prisoner got in. After the train started, I got up and looked out of the window, pretending to be talking to someone, and prisoner got up and came over towards me and put his hands on me. When I saw him coming to put his hands on me, I screamed. Prisoner then got his hand over my mouth and pulled me down. I got away and ran to the window again and called out to Mr Allworth, whom I saw get into another compartment of the carriage at East Maitland. Mr Allworth asked what was the matter and I replied, The man! The prisoner then pulled me back from the window, threw me down on the floor of the carriage and held me by the throat at the same time bumping my head on the floor. He attempted to criminally assault me, but did not succeed as then the train stopped. Prisoner then jumped out of the carriage. Mr. Gilfoy and Mr. Howe came and asked what was the matter. I replied, the man, and Mr. Gilfoy ran after him and caught him. Mr. Allworth and Mr. Filmer came into the compartment and accompanied me to Morpeth. I never saw the prisoner before that night. The man in the dock is the one who assaulted me. Henry Howe, engine driver, deposed. I drove the engine on the line from East Maitland to Morpeth and was driving the train leaving East Maitland at 9.13pm on Monday evening last. After I left East Maitland, I noticed a gentleman waving what I thought was a handkerchief and calling out, Stop! Stop! I pulled up as soon as possible. Just before I stopped, I heard some screaming. I went back to the carriage and saw Miss Gray with her head out of the window. When I got up to the window, there was a man sitting on the opposite seat. I asked her what was going wrong. She could not speak for a time and was very white and greatly excited. The man did not speak. The lamp in the carriage was alight. Henry Howe pointed to the prisoner. 
He is the man who was in the carriage. As soon as I spoke to the girl, Mr. Gilfoy opened the door on the opposite side and asked Miss Gray what was the matter. She could not speak for a second or two, and then she said, Oh, that man! And directly afterwards she said, For God's sake, take that man away! The prisoner then suddenly jumped out of the door and ran. Gilfoy had just then opened the door on the lagoon side of the line. Gilfoy yelled out, Is that the man? And she turned round and seeing the man going away, ran after him. I then returned to the engine. Joseph Witter Allworth deposed. I was travelling from East Maitland to Morpeth on last Monday evening, by the train leaving East Maitland a little after nine. I was in a compartment of the first class carriage by myself. After the train had gone a short distance, I heard Miss Gray calling my name. She was in another compartment of the carriage. I looked out of the window and saw Miss Gray leaning out of the window. She cried out, Come to me! I asked her what was the matter and she said, There's a man in here! She was looking back into the carriage and said, This man, for God's sake, come! I crossed to the other side of the carriage with a view of looking behind, but the windows were up. I then came back to open one. I could not see Miss Gray then, but heard her screaming. I then waved the paper in my hands and called out, Stop the train! The train soon afterwards stopped, and a guard came and asked what was the matter. I said, There is a man in the next carriage assaulting Miss Gray. I afterwards got into the carriage with Miss Gray and accompanied her home. Mr. Filmer also got in. There was then no one in the carriage but Miss Gray. I did not see the prisoner till after he was arrested. When I saw Miss Gray at the window, she was looking back very much frightened and very pale. James Gilfoy deposed. I am a porter at East Maitland Railway Station. I was a passenger by the 9.13pm train on last Monday. I travelled in the guard's van. About a mile from East Maitland, the driver of the engine signalled for the brakes and the train was stopped. I jumped out of the van and was going towards the engine when I heard screams of MURDER! I stepped onto the running board outside the carriage and looked through the window. The prisoner, who is now in the dock, had hold of Miss Gray by the shoulder. She was rising up, nearly standing at the time. There was a light in the carriage. I jumped into the carriage. Miss Gray said, Oh, that man! And the prisoner jumped out. I followed him. Miss Gray was much frightened and exhausted and could scarcely speak. Prisoner ran toward the brake van for about 50 yards. He then left the line and fell into the drain alongside it. He then went on to the road and ran 200 or 300 yards when I caught him and brought him back to the brake van. The prisoner did not say a word. He sat on the sandbox and I then saw his trousers were unbuttoned and saw him do them up. There was a guard in the van. Alexander Montgomery assisted me to get him into the van. When we came to Morpeth, the prisoner was handed over to Constable Snooshaw. Alexander Montgomery deposed. I am a butcher residing at Newcastle. I was a passenger in the 9.13pm train from East Maitland on Monday evening last. I was travelling in the second class carriage. Not long after the train left the station, it stopped beside the road. I heard someone screaming from a distance away. 
I got out of the train and saw a lady calling out, That man! That man! I ran up the line and saw two men in front of me running as if chasing someone. I followed them two or three hundred yards and caught up to them on the Morpeth Road. I heard Gilfoy sing out to some people on the road to stop him. I sang out to Gilfoy to go on and I would follow him. I knew there was something up in the train and I went to assist to catch the man. Gilfoyle was the one who caught the man. He is the man now sitting in the dock. I assisted to take the prisoner back and put him in the van. I also got into the van with him. We then went on to Morpeth. Prisoner appeared to be quite sober. I asked the prisoner was he hurt and he said no. Edward White deposed. I am a railway porter and was in the 9.13pm train on Monday evening. I saw a prisoner when Guilfoyle and Montgomery brought him to the van. I assisted to get him in. After he was got in, he sat on the sandbox and buttoned up his trousers with his left hand. Prisoner was perfectly sober. I said, you must have been a fool to jump out of the train. You might have broken your neck. He said, uh, I did not hurt myself. At Morpeth, the prisoner produced a ticket from East Maitland to Woodford, which is not on the Morpeth line. The prisoner declined to ask any questions of any of the witnesses. In answer to the bench, the prisoner said he did not wish any portion of the evidence read over to him again, and he did not wish to make any statement. He was committed to take his trial at the Maitland Quarter Sessions to be held on the 2nd of September next. The witnesses were then bound over to attend the court on the day named. Newcastle Morning Herald and Miners Advocate Friday the 3rd of September 1886 Assault with intent and indecent assault Henry Miller, a respectable looking man about 30 years of age, was charged with assault and with intent to commit a rape on and also with indecently assaulting Mary Ellen Gray on the 9th of August last. He pleaded guilty to both charges. It can still be remembered that the crimes were committed in a railway carriage while the train was in motion. His Honour said that this was about one of the most serious of criminal charge and sentence would be passed after he had an opportunity of reading the depositions. At Maitland Quarter Sessions, Henry Miller was convicted of having attempted to commit a criminal assault on a young lady in a railway train and he was sentenced to seven years penal servitude and ordered to receive 20 lashes. He was immediately taken from the court and transported to the Maitland Jail. Henry Miller served his sentence at Maitland Jail from the 2nd of September 1886 and released in April 1892 having served five and a half years it is not known where he went after this date. There were some questions that arose during my research. What was Henry Miller doing at East Maitland Station? And why did he have a ticket to Woodford, which is on the Blue Mountains line to Bathurst? He may have had relatives at East Maitland, as there was a Miller family residing there at this time, though I could not locate a direct connection. He might not have been a local, because why contemplate an attack on the Morpeth train line? Did he not realise that the Morpeth branch was a relatively short line running from East Maitland to the then river port of Morpeth 
a total distance of 4.7 kilometers or 2.9 miles. There is a lot of information about the Great Northern Railway line which runs through the Central Coast, Hunter and New England regions. I'll put a couple of links up on my podcast page. So I don't really know any information about Henry Miller. I could not connect the dots with what happened to him after he was released from jail or his life before this incident. As for Mary Ellen, she was 19 years of age when this assault occurred. Not long after, she moved back to St. Leonard's with her parents and younger siblings. She passed away on the 9th of December 1940 at the age of 73 years. Mary Ellen never married. Thank you for listening to Morpeth Moments. Hope you return to hear about more stories about the people and places of Morpeth and its surrounding districts. Bye for now.